I'm not sure anybody knows exactly why, but baseball seems to lend itself more to fiction than any other sport. Think of the great novels written about baseball. The Natural, Bang the Drum Slowly, Shoeless Joe, The Art of Fielding, or the great movies, Field of Dreams, Eight Men Out, The Sandlot, 42. There's something about the sport that touches us in a way that others don't and frees the imagination to dream about what could be. Miracles and curses somehow are the only words that can describe, say, the 69 Mets or the whole 20th century Cubs. The Radio Ball Returns is about those magical events that seem a regular part of baseball lore. Does Wes Godry experience a miracle? Well, listen to the story and you tell me. I scraped my cleat through the orange clay beneath the bullpen bench and bore down harder, pulling the bill of my cap down and closing my eyes for effect. Buried deep in my brain was the fifth element of the adverse possession of real property. My gray matter was not bringing it up. Getting physical had always helped, so I dug and pulled and squinted. The bullpen's not the best place to be studying for the bar exam, but that test was coming up quick, and we had three games before it. The thud of flying leather hitting the side of my face broke my concentration. Irritated, I quickly sat up, looking for a culprit. The broken English of Ernesto Rivera, our everyday catcher, broke through the snickers. Wake up, Judge Godfrey. You're not in court. There's a ball game, you know. I just stared at him. He lifted his portly frame off the bench and moved down next to me, slapping my knee with his mitt. Mango called me again yesterday, he whispered into my ear. No way, I whispered back, looking around to make sure no one else heard me. What's that make, four calls? He's in love with you, man. I make him wait a day or two. It's a season for teams needing catchers. String him out. You can do better than him. Other than Tampa Bay and Milwaukee, I don't know if he's really all that hooked up with anybody. You need a really good agent. They can make or break your chances. If you say so, Ray, you know the show better than I do, but I'm nervous, you know. Baseball over in two weeks, you know. Just hearing baseball over still makes me wince. There was a time when law was all about my distant future. I look forward to it the way most 20-somethings look forward to signing up for the AARP. It was still the plan for after my arm wore out. For the present, I had my strong left arm and a cut fastball. I've been told it came natural to me. I suppose if you call throwing two hours a day, 12 months a year, from the age of 16 natural, then it came natural. Every day I had my dad, my brother, or whoever I could find at the park district squatting behind the plate. Blessed with talent? Yes. But I didn't let lie fallow like so much of the red play around here. By senior year, I was blowing 90 mile an hour fastballs past my schoolboy opponents. 
the thing would jump from one side of the plate to the other. Scads of scholarship offers followed. Georgia Tech offered one to my catcher, Bronson Skaggs, as well as to me. Bronson had taught me through so many jams, both on the field and off of it, that I couldn't see myself going anywhere without him. So off to Tech we went. Tech turned out to be a better school for academics than it did for baseball. Bronson banged up his leg sophomore year so bad he couldn't play much. He ended up trading in his baseball scholarship for one in sports management and became our equipment manager. The rest of the team didn't fare much better. We made it past the first round of the regionals one time. For me though, it was a sweet ride. I kept improving my speed and the cutter just got better. I walked out of there four years later with a pre-law degree, cum laude, no less. The plan was baseball until I was 40, and then law to the grave. I had it all planned out. Well, it didn't quite work out that way. I got off to a good start. I was drafted by the Mets. I made the big club by the end of my second year in the pros. After a couple of years of working out of the pen, they gave me a chance to start. I didn't disappoint going 16-7 and seven and finished second in the league in strikeouts. The Mets play-by-play guy started talking about me throwing a radio ball. You couldn't see it, you could only hear it. It was my cut fastball, which moved away from a right-handed batter, cutting across the plate. That off-season, the New York media talked up the radio ball. I got a commercial on local TV hawking shaving cream I started dating a model I met at a chair at gala. I flew Bronson into town. We had us some fun. Life kept on being fun as the season started that next year. I started out five and one and kept my ERA under two. But then everything changed one night I let go of a radio ball in Philly and felt something tug in my pitching arm. Then it started to burn like somebody had stuck it with a branding iron. I'd torn a muscle in my arm. It took three months to heal. I went back to Tech and Bronson helped me rehab, running with me in the morning, catching my weak lobs when I got well enough to start throwing. Slowly, I got my speed back, and I rejoined the team before the end of the year. But something was missing. The cutter was not cutting. My fastball was still fast, but now it was flat. It didn't cut. It barely moved. Radio ball was gone. And with it went the shaving commercial and the model. Postseason, it was back to tech and the daily grind of working out. Bronson and I hit the weights, ran the track, and threw for two hours a day. He'd been hired on as an assistant pitching coach, so he was there anyway. He kept pushing me hard when I didn't want to go all out. Something wasn't clicking. I got all my speed back, but the cutter wasn't cutting. I went to spring training without the problem being solved. I started the season in the bullpen again, getting by mostly on speed and location, 
I did all right for a month, but then it happened again. Letting go of a 3-2 fastball in St. Louis, I felt that muscle tear again. Second injuries don't tend to heal as well as the first, and mine was no exception. I went back down to Georgia, and Bronson put me through the paces again. Slowly, I got back most of my speed, but the fastball was coming in flat, and it just didn't move. And the show, that's a death sentence. The Mets were more than good to me. They gave me a trial run at the end of the year. But after four starts, I hadn't lasted for more than three innings. Before I left for the winter, they assigned me to AAA Vegas and told me I had one year to show them I could still pitch. Well, it didn't take a year. After another winter of 5 a.m. runs and two-hour throwing sessions, I still couldn't go more than an inning without my arm feeling like it was going to explode. After two starts at Vegas, they put me in the pen and tried me as a closer. But even then, I could only pitch every third day. Nobody's going to carry a reliever who can only work once or twice a week. The handwriting was on the wall. I went in and had a heart-to-heart with a Vegas skipper. Do it before they do it to you, was his advice. He didn't have to say it twice. I called the front office and walked away from my baseball dream the next day heartbroken and retired at the age of 27. The rest of my bonus money paid my law school tuition. Half the lawyers in Atlanta were tech grads. I figured if I got halfway decent grades with my celebrity, I could write my ticket to any firm in the city. Law school was hard. I always liked to read and debate, but this was reading and arguing 24-7. The discipline of my workout regime paid off. I was used to doing unpleasant things for long periods of time, and I was more motivated than my younger classmates. I knew what it was like to lose something I loved. That wasn't going to happen again. Still in love with baseball, when I wasn't in the library, I ended up at the Phys Ed Center throwing to Bronson or one of the kids from the Tech baseball team. There was no shortage of volunteers lining up to catch me. Most of them just kind of gawked at me, not brave enough to talk much. Well, there was one exception to that rule. Pablo Ayana, something of a celebrity himself. Ayana had defected from Cuba. Rumor had it, professional smugglers had boated him over the Gulf to Florida in the speculation that he would sign a seven-figure contract. Now, there was a little hitch in our plan. He didn't have the money to pay him when they delivered him to shore. So they broke his arm and left him on the beach. He ended up in a deportation center and never signed a contract. Somehow, he found his way on the Tech's baseball team. Now, my rule was I didn't throw batting practice. I always begged off, citing my need to get back to the books. But by year three, the books weren't calling all that loudly. I was bored, 
and I started throwing some to the baseball players. It was about this time that Ayana showed up. He was a cut above anything the tech pitchers could handle. He smashed their best pitches off the net so hard and fast that people 50 feet behind them moved away, fearing the mesh was going to give way. Well, his ego was a cut above, too. Most athletes have no shortage of it, but it just oozed out of Ayana. He didn't really speak English, but early on he learned home run. Each time he hit the sweet spot on a fast one, he'd yell it at the top of his lungs and turn toward whatever audience had gathered and flex his bicep. Well, needless to say, this got old pretty quick. The tech pitchers were gathering, brows furrowed, murmuring about what they could do to shut Ayana up. That conspiracy wasn't hidden too well. Yana encouraged it. After stroking three or four more hardliners, he would step out, look towards the cadres gathering, plotting his demise, and shout, Siguente, Spanish for next. Then he'd refuse to get back in the box until a different hurdler stepped in. Pitchers from Tech couldn't figure him out, and his love affair with his bicep was sickening everybody in the gym. Someone was going to have to shut him down. Bronson trotted up to me, shaking his head. Wes, he said with an honest look of determination, you know how to put an end to this, right? He clasped my left shoulder and flashed a knowing stare into my eyes. In the show, When a rookie started showing off, it was up to whoever was throwing to him to throw at him until it stopped. Wes, these kids don't have enough control of this stuff to put a proper end to this circus. Somebody's gonna get hurt. I hate to prevail upon you, but we're gonna have a real problem here if y'all don't help us out. Bronson generally was pretty loose, but he looked worried. It was about at that time I saw Yana talking to a tech pitcher who was pointing at me. He looked up shortly after I glanced his way and pointed a finger straight at me. Seguinte, he shouted, smiling broadly and then waving towards the man with his bat. I looked at Bronson and he nodded. I felt like I had little choice. I could get the job done without hurting him. One 90-mile-an-hour fastball under his chin would probably shut him up. Bronson bent down, picked up the ball, winked, and tossed it up. I grabbed it and headed over to the cage, causing the whole gym to erupt in whoops and whistles. Ayana stepped into the box and pointed to me with his bat. I nodded, stepped up to the rubber. My first warm-up sailed five feet over the catcher's head and smacked the top at 90 miles per. Yonder just laughed. He wasn't intimidated. Then I showed him four straight hard ones right down the middle. 
He banged his bat on the ground and shouted something in Spanish, pointing at the plate with his bat. I motioned him into the box. The tech catcher flashed me three different signs, but we both knew I was going to bring as much heat as I could muster. I took aim at one spot just below his chin and an inch or two to the left of his big barrel chest. Rocking back, I noticed I'd lost all reluctance to get involved. Yana was in dire need of schooling, and I was the best equipped man to teach him. In that millisecond, when rocking back became launching forward, his brash, deep baritone barked out something in Spanish. I don't speak a word of that tongue, but I could tell from the tone of it that it was the nastiest insult his 20-year-old brain could muster. Something deep within brought forth something in me I didn't know existed. I wanted to do more than teach this kid a lesson. I wanted to bean his overinflated ego back to Havana. My aim redirected six inches up and slightly to the right. I threw right at his head. After I let go, I panicked over what I'd done. I had tolerated all kinds of ego in my teammates, coaches, agents, owners, and the media without reacting like this. Shocked, but helpless to undo it, I dreaded watching the ball reach the plate. Thank God the kid was wearing a helmet. And in that half second between my hand and the plate, a most amazing thing happened. My fastball cut. Instead of plunking Ayana in the head, five feet from the plate, it broke away from him, dipping about six inches down, barely missing his chin. I stood there dumbfounded, replacing my disgust with wonder. Was my cutter back? Yana dropped his bat as he jerked away. The crowd of tech pitches snickered. Bronson, standing arms folded, had lifted one hand to cover his eyes, only peeking when he heard the laughing. Nobody but me had noticed the cut of the pitch. Yana just glared at me. Stand me down, he picked up the bat, slammed the lumber down twice on the rubberized floor, and stepped back into the box. The kid was calling for a curve. I gripped a four-seam fastball and shook off his sign. When the next sign was for the heater, I started into my windup. Just then, Ayana looked down and saw how close my catcher was to targeting the pitch to his knee. He jumped back out of the box and flew into a torrent of Spanish curses. The two of them stood there nearly nose to nose, arguing hot and heavy. Finally, Ayana got back in and pointed at me with his bat. Siguente, he barked, stepping into the box and smashing the rubber floor with it. I found my grip and went into my windup, releasing what I hoped to be a cutter. The ball launched higher than the target and headed towards Ayana's waist. Once again, I winced, thinking it would plunk him. But five feet from home, it cut away from him. He started to jerk away, and then he took a late cut at it, but he missed it by a mile.
My freshman catcher caught it and turned towards his teammates. Did you see that thing cut? He shouted. Then he quickly beamed a big smile towards me. He said, dude, what did you just throw? Ayana barked out something in Spanish that turned my catcher's smile to a frown. He motioned with his bat for me to pitch again. I gripped another four-seamer, wound up, and fired it right down the middle. Well, down the middle, that is, till it broke six inches to the left. He lurched and managed to get the bottom of the bat on the end of it, dribbling it back to me slowly. Now, that was the only pitch he hit straight for the rest of the time I threw to him. I threw him nothing but fastballs, and like the first one, they all cut. My radio ball was back. Bronson came out as Ayana pouted his way out of the cage. Beaming at me, he grabbed my arm and joked, Let me feel this thing. How long you been hiding this? I don't know, was all I could say. I had no idea how it happened, but I was feeling it was just like old times. You need to make some notes right now, he said, with that same earnest expression. Ask yourself what you're doing different. Do this while it's fresh, before you forget what happened. I'll get the camera, and we'll take some video before you leave if your arm's not hurting. Well, I threw for another 40 minutes, twice as long as I had been throwing, and I didn't feel any pain. It was amazing. Bronson's father was a preacher of some sort, and Bronson could be something of a bullpen philosopher at times. He wasn't shy about telling you what he thought the cosmic significance of baseball events was. Wes, he offered as I stepped out of the shower, what just happened out there is big. I've been around baseball a long time now, and I ain't never seen anything like it. I've seen kids come back from a torn rotator and be just fine, but what's going on with you? I ain't never seen that. I mean, two injuries and you're almost 30. You're right, I mumbled. I can't explain it. I haven't felt this good since that first tear, and I'm not doing anything different. Wes, I believe some people are put in a certain place for a reason. You know what I mean? He stared at me and tipped his hat up like he always did when he wanted your attention. The first time I saw you smoke one of them radio balls of yours, I said to myself, the good Lord put you on this earth to throw a baseball. What I just seen confirmed that. He put one hand on his hip and karate chopped the air with the other for effect. You, my friend, has been called to pitch. Ain't no doubt about it. If you still throwing tomorrow like you did today, you got to call the Braves and get you a tryout. Well, I've never been much for God talk, and the whole idea that the creator of the universe cares how I throw a baseball seemed a little over the top. But there was something about the thought coming from Bronson, who was never anything but benevolent, that made the thought a whole lot less offensive. I... I went home and I had a lot of grandiose thoughts. I was up till 2 a.m. thinking about what it might mean if I could pitch again. My tax law prophet told me I had a natural talent for tax law. He'd offered to hook me up with one of his big law connections. 
Well, that's the direction I'd been headed. I was navigating corporate big shots through the Internal Revenue Code of more significant existence than getting a cutter past a cleanup hitter. I knew I loved the one. I didn't really know how I felt about the other. One thing I liked for sure, I could practice law till I was ready for the nursing home. With the name recognition I had, I would bring plenty of money into the coffers of whoever would hire me. Rainmakers like that could make the same kind of money that most pitchers make. And they made it for 40 years, not the six to eight years that I might have left to pitch. But was that what I was supposed to be doing? I never really thought too much about that. Fair to say I believe life was supposed to have a purpose. I've been raised that way. I always assumed purpose was all wrapped up in what you was good at and how hard you went after it. Once you figured out what it was you could do, you went after it hard. And purpose took care of itself. Once I hurt my arm the second time, it seemed like a clear sign that I was done with baseball. If that wasn't the handwriting on the wall, then I don't know much about living. But there I lay, not knowing much, except I was glad my cutter was back and my arm didn't hurt. What was the most confusing was how the cutter came back, in the middle of me wanting to be a Yana back to Cuba. Let me rephrase that. When I had been putting every ounce of strength, all of my thoughts, every bit of passion I could muster into smoking a 92-mile-an-hour fastball at the head of a fellow human being. Seemed like a no-brainer that you don't discover your calling through your most evil thoughts. If intentions count for anything, then it seemed like I had the devil to thank more for my reborn cutter than the good Lord. Like I said, I was confused. The next day I sat through class in a daze and then I headed over to the gym. My radio ball was cutting like old times. It was coming in at 92 mile an hour, cutting six inches, dropping as it reached the plate. Bronson crotch behind the plate, beaming each time the cut happened. After 20 minutes of it, he popped up tore off his mask and pointed at my pitching arm. How's that wing, he yelled. Feels great, I replied. Best I've felt since we were teammates, which was only a slight exaggeration. Okay, he shouted as he ran in my direction. Let's talk. I nodded compliantly, but inside I wasn't feeling like talking. I was elated, but this was only a day or two of what it whatever it was. I thought, well, let's give it a week. Bronson wasn't having any of that. Wes, there's a whole lot of murky gray in this life, but there's a few things that are black and white. You need to call and get yourself a tryout. I mean, what what have you got to lose? The worst they can say is no. Oh, I don't know, coach. It's only been a couple days. And what's to say I don't get there and end up tearing my muscle for good? Then what? 
Well, he shot back, frowning at me, I suppose you apply to one of them law factories and start doing those fat cats taxes. But dang it, Wes. Come on now, how many people get a chance to do this twice? How are you going to look at yourself in the mirror the rest of your life if you don't at least give it a shot? It's what you were meant to do. If you don't know that, well, open your eyes. This is what you're supposed to do. never seen Bronson quite this red in the face, and I had to tread lightly on his black and white surety that the Almighty had called me to throw the cutter. Coach, I, I appreciate your deep faith, but I gotta believe if this is what I'm supposed to be doing with my life, then at the moment the cutter came back, I would not have been trying to plunk that Ayana kid in the head with my best fastball. Well, he stared at me, the redness slowly draining out of his forehead, and then his cheeks, and then finally his jawline. And he raised a forefinger to his chin and slowly stroked it, like I'd seen him do hundreds of times when he had something important to say. Finally, he spoke, softly but bluntly. You don't get it, do you? Oh, I guess not, I shrugged. But to me, it's pretty black and white that you don't find your life's purpose from your worst intentions, right? He slowly shook his head. It ain't about you, Wes. God's given you a gift. That part's as plain as the nose on your face. Now what you do with it, he's gonna leave that mostly up to you. But if he's got plans, it's gonna happen. Don't matter what's in your head. If he wants it to happen, it'll happen. He's in control. Well, but coach, I, I mean, it's, it's just baseball. Seriously now, you're saying the, the creator, he worries about whether the Braves are gonna find that fifth man for their rotation? Come on, coach, really? I'm having a hard time with that. And you're telling me it don't matter I might have killed that kid? You go to Sunday school when you was little? Well, yeah, my mama dragged me there. What about it? Joseph Brothers sold him into slavery. And then he got to be the king's right-hand man. And he ends up saving them when the famine hits. Remember that one? Well, yeah, I guess. Remember what he said about his brother's plans when it all was over? I didn't, but I was pretty sure I was about to be reminded. Joseph said that his brother meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. You get it? In the end, it didn't matter what they intended. The important thing was God had a plan for Joseph. What he wanted was what mattered. So yeah, maybe you wanted to be that boy, but God had bigger plans for that moment. And he's the one's in control, not you. Well, I squeezed my fingernail into the space between the red stitches as I rolled the ball around in my hand. 
That fifth element of adverse possession was in there somewhere. Trevor Grant, our number two guy, flopped his lanky frame down next to me and slapped my knee with his glove. What up, Judge Ray? He yelled in his slow southern drawl. You lost in deep thought again? Man, we got to get your brain off of that test and onto something seriously important. Like, when are we going to go out and chase some tail, my friend? What do you say? Well, I sat up and looked annoyed. Grant, that test is in three days. Go find some other partner in attempted debauchery. I got no time. Besides, how would it look if you ended up so wasted you can't pitch tomorrow and you're out with your coach? Grant didn't waste any more time trying to convince me. He shook his head as he rose. Suit yourself, ma'am, he muttered, rambling down to the end of the bench. I found myself thinking that ten years ago I was a lot like Grant, full of talent, cocksure that I was bound for glory, and that nothing and nobody could stop me from getting there. Well, a decade of living had taught me otherwise. And so when I hurt my arm a third time, just two weeks after the Braves called me up from Gwinnett, I couldn't say, oh, I was all that surprised. Disappointed, sure. But the third time, as they said, was the charm. The brass in the front office set me up with the Beth Orthopedus in the South. They had a rehab program put together not too long after I got off the field and into the shower. But I said, no thanks. I'm pretty good at this myself. I'll let you know if I need any help. Well, that was almost a year ago now. Lots of water under the bridge since then. Mom's all healed up. The cutter came back, sort of. I, I can throw about an inning with it before it gets sore. Tex head coach quit, and they gave Bronson the job. Now, he asked me if I wanted his slot. Well, I thought about it for about ten seconds and said, Why not? I'm here every day anyway. Might as well get paid for it. Turns out I'm a pretty good coach. Kids like me. I'm showing them how to pitch. And I'm finding that that's just about as much fun as doing it myself. So I told the Braves I'm done. Did I'm not sure I'd see all this as meant for the best. But from where I sit, it looks pretty good.